And I want to welcome our internet audience. I'm so pleased that you're here with us today, uh, joining many men here from all over Naples. God bless you all, and I hope this lesson resonates with you today. We're going to start a new series today uh, that's going to discuss the uh, Epistle to the Colossians. Uh, and this is uh, written by Paul, and it dates back to the year 63 AD. And so by way of a little bit of background, Paul is writing this while imprisoned in Rome. It's amazing when you recognize that this is where he's writing this. And so here he is, imprisoned in Rome for doing nothing other than spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and this voyage that he's made to get to Rome from Jerusalem has taken many months. He was shipwrecked on the way up. Uh, and finally now he's in prison in Rome uh, for doing nothing more than preaching about Jesus. And so you'll see the, the, the hope and love emanating from this man who even though he's behind prison just recognizes that God is using him and that even in this sense of being in prison is within the perfect will of God. Uh, and so he's writing to this church in Turkey. It's Colossus. Uh, and this church has been started by this gentleman named Ephrepha. And Ephrepha most likely heard the gospel preached in Ephesus. Uh, and as a result of being preached in Ephesus by Paul, uh, he became sold out to Christ and goes back to Coloss uh, and starts this church. Uh, and so here it is. It's a developing church within the first century of Christianity, uh, and he comes back now to Paul and speaks to Paul about concerns that he has in the church. And the concerns that he has in the church is the fact that, that uh, improper theology has begun to be invested in the first century church. I'm sure you find that somewhat astonishing. How could bad theology... How could things that are not appropriate to Christ invest itself really within 30 years or so of the crucifixion of Christ? Uh, and, and it's a warning to us today uh, about how uh, we are guardians of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we study the Bible, so that we stay true and sound on biblical principles. Because if we begin to deviate and if we take some of these things and begin to incorporate into the church, we are going to find ourselves outside of the will of God. And so what were these things that he was concerned about? Well, he was concerned really first about, about fundamental Judaism that had begun to establish itself in the Christian church. Meaning what? An insistence on the fact that the rituals had to, had to be complied with, that the Jewish rituals had to be complied with. The fact that, that you, you needed to be circumcised, that was still going on. Uh, and that had been, and that you had to be a Jew first in order to be a Christian. These are the kind of elements that were still percolating around in the early church. And this is absolutely outside of the will of God. You know, the new covenant separated us ourselves from that. There is no need anymore to celebrate the high holy days. Jesus is the high holy days. The day of atonement isn't necessary anymore with, with uh, animal sacrifice. Jesus is the day of atonement died on the cross, uh, and it's his blood that purifies us and washes us. And so if you begin to, to deviate from these principles, this is how you wind up messing up your relationship with God. Listen, let me make this perfectly clear. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. You got that? Jesus plus 
nothing is salvation. And so if you get caught up and you start to be with people who begin to say, well, you have to do X, you have to do Y in order to be saved, it's far from the mark of God. All right? Everything that we do in that regard diminishes God. And then the other thing that was, was raising its head that was beginning to be incorporated uh, into these the early churches was Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was, a, was a, uh, a spiritual viewpoint that had really started even before Christ came to this world, but then had begun to latch onto Christianity. And what it was, it was a, a, a view, it was almost like a New Age movement in which if you were a Gnostic, effectively what you would say, what you need to get is knowledge. And you got knowledge by looking deep within yourself. By making that voyage deep within yourself, you could find out about yourself and get greater knowledge. Well, folks, we know what happens when you go deep within yourself. What do you find? A black hole, right? A black hole. There's nothing good deep within yourself. Uh, and in fact, going deep within yourself leads you to reach out to Jesus Christ, uh, that you're lost and you need a savior. Uh, and so it, uh, it, it's important to understand the nature of the letter why he's writing it, where he's writing it, uh, and what this is all about. So we're going to spend a few weeks studying this, uh, and I think probably this is a subject that you may not have heard before. Colossians is not a well-known uh, epistle, but I think it's worth looking at. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses. And by the way, Paul refers to himself as an apostle here. And an apostle has an, uh, a very different ministry. An apostle is a person who basically is responsible for directing the church, to making certain that the church sticks according to the principles by which it was established. That is the nature of an apostle, uh, a person who can speak not only to the church itself, to the, to the uh, parishioners in the church itself, to people who are disciples. An apostle is called by God, called by God, speaks directly with God, uh, but has a very high calling, really one of the highest callings in the church. And so <clears throat> Paul will refer to himself here today as an apostle. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers <clears throat> in Christ at Coloss. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Ephraphus, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I want to stop here because I want you to understand he never visited this church. He didn't personally know these people. But here's a guy as an apostle 
in prison who's so, so sold out for Jesus Christ that when he hears of these people who are worshiping God, that his heart is quickened for them, that he loves them because of the love of Jesus Christ within them. And so he's reaching out to them. What an experience and an example this is for us, that there are people in this world who we may not know, but we love them anyway. I mean, this, this relates to our mission efforts as we reach out to people in far-flung countries that we don't know, yet we have a love for them, knowing that they're coming to God and coming to Christ, and God wants us to reach out to them. And so this becomes uh, important. That's why since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's the concern here. He wants them to recognize that it's through the Holy Spirit that they will be guided, not to be distracted from things that are not directly from God. Uh, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How about this being written by a guy who is behind bars? Is that just blow your mind when I think about this, this, this great apostle uh, being imprisoned and yet having the love of God so profound and so pervasive in his life that he can speak like this to this group of Christians. So he's imprisoned. It's somewhere in Rome. It's 63 AD. Uh, and he's inspired to write this letter because Ephraphus has come to visit him. And, and, uh, and, Afra uh, and Colossus is a city uh, not too far from Ephesus. It's in Asia Minor. It's in Turkey. And by the way, uh, I recently read a report that there are probably no more than seven or 8,000 Christians, known Christians today in Turkey. How about that? And yet you see the work of God in the first century was, was bursting and alive uh, in Turkey, both at uh, uh, Ephesus and here at Colossus. And there were Christians there. And you see what happens uh, over time if people walk away from the gospel of Christ, they walk away from the light, uh, what we have doesn't stay forever. You know, it doesn't stay forever. You know, the candlesticks in the churches don't stay forever. The question becomes, are we being responsible to God? And so God, Paul was inspired to write this letter uh, of, of instruction. This is a letter of instruction. And you're going to see this as we work our way through Colossians, how he's going to speak about what your responsibility is as a Christian. This is, this is now you're saved. You're saved, and now he's talking about really effectively the day two experiences that we've talked about. How do you walk with God? As you walk, what are your responsibilities to walk with God? How do you treat others? How do you treat your family? How do you treat your wife? All these issues are going to be discussed here uh, in this letter of Colossians as we work our, our way through it. Um, and you see here he refers to Timothy, who's with him, and Timothy was a, a companion of Paul. Uh, for many years in many parts of the ministry. Uh, and so in the salutation, in the opening salutation, Paul refers to the saints and the faithful brethren in the church. 
Uh, now, this is important. When he refers, uh, when he addresses the saints, he's not separating some Christians from others in the church. This is important. There is an equality in the church. Nobody is higher than anybody else in the Christian church of God. There's Jesus Christ, and then there's us. All right? There is no uh, hierarchy that takes place in the eyes of God. And so Paul is letting them know that he's referring to all of them, all of them that are saved, all of them as saints. Now, this is distinguished from Gnosticism because Gnosticism basically had a food chain. And Gnosticism felt that there were certain people that had greater, uh, greater wisdom than others spiritually uh, and, and made a point of that. And they were the spiritual elite. But let me tell you something, folks. There is no spiritual elite under Jesus Christ. There is no spiritual elite under Jesus Christ. Uh, and even though somebody can be used mightily by God to be a great evangelist, that doesn't mean that that person is considered in the eyes of God greater than you. God looks at all of us as lost people who were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Let's understand that. Let's understand that. So that's important to understand this. And he's drilling this home because he's aware of the undercurrent of Gnosticism and the fact that there was elitism in the church. There is no elitism in Jesus Christ. There is no elitism in Jesus Christ. Somebody recently told me that they had been taught that when they get to heaven, Billy Graham is going to be over a lot of people. I said, look, I love Billy Graham. I love Billy Graham. But nobody is going to be over anybody else other than Jesus. All right? We're going to have responsibilities. There's going to be governance. There's going to be things you're going to be doing. But I don't care where you were. We still bow before the throne of Jesus Christ. You understand? There's no elitism in, in, in heaven. All right? And the apostles will be there. The disciples will be there. I'm sure of it. We're going to get a chance to speak to them, and they're going to talk to us. I said to the Sunday morning group, I said, by the way, make a note. When you get to heaven, we're going to be doing this at 11 o'clock every Sunday. I said, Jesus will come in as a guest speaker. Paul will follow him. You're going to be able to hear things that you never thought you'd hear. Isn't that going to be amazing? That's what it's like. But the bottom line is there's Jesus at the top of the church right next to the throne of God, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so you see how even in the early church, a cancer can grow. And, what these, and this is exactly what Satan would like. He'd like nothing better than to infiltrate the church and divide it up so that people would think, well, they're higher than I am. No, they're not. Nobody's higher than you are. You're saved. You're perfectly equipped to follow God. He's given you everything that you need. Don't ever think that you are in a less important capacity than anybody else in the church. God has fully equipped you, and he's called you in that regard. And so he's writing this letter because he's aware of these problems. He's aware of the infiltration of false theology. Uh, and it was a time in that first century church of religious mixing with people borrowing a little from here and a little from there. Uh, and whatever the problems were, uh, Paul is dwelling on the perfect solution of them, which is a better understanding of Jesus. You want to come to, a, a, to solve the problems that you see up here? You look to Jesus Christ. Knowing the real Jesus, knowing the real Jesus will separate us from these issues and will keep us away from the counterfeit no matter how it comes packaged. 
And that's the answer. So if you find yourself uh, being confused, get back into the Bible. You find yourself not, not really co coming to terms with what you should be, get back to knowing who Jesus is, asking him to give you wisdom in every way. And so this city of Colossus is not even mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, and so all our biblical information about it uh, comes from this letter and a couple of allusions in, in the letter to Philemon. Uh, and so we understand from reading this that Ephraphus uh, was responsible in bringing the gospel to the uh, Colossians. Now, again, this is an example of how God works. This is just a regular guy, Ephraphus. But he goes to Ephesus. He meets Paul. He hears Paul's teaching. And guess what? He's turned on. He's turned on. And then he goes back to his home city, just a regular guy. And as a result of this regular guy, a church starts. A church starts. That's how God works. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't study theology 101. What's what theology 101 is he studying? He was there under Paul's ministry. He heard it, and the Holy Spirit sealed him, and he's turned on. He goes back, and God uses him. That's the lesson for you, that God can use you in the same way. Uh, and, and so you see this here, uh, and it, it's so inspiring. And so Paul's letter opens up with the phrase, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That was a typical phrase that would have been used in the first century church. It's the letter that's full of love and concern. I don't know you. I haven't met you, but I love you. I'm concerned for you. I want what's best for you. I want Jesus to be with you. That's the kind of love that we have to have, the kind of concern that we have to have, even when we don't personally know these people. But when we hear these stories that the, the ministry of the gospel needs to go forward, you need to be ignited in your heart. You need to be turned on. That's why I'm so grateful that we have a, a ministry here of the radio station, because the radio station is going to places that we never would go. There are people that are going to hear this that would never hear it. People who would never darken the door of a church. But they're going to hear this, and my heart hurts for them. I'm concerned for them. I love them. And that's why we're grateful that there are ministries like that uh, that do this. And so Paul is writing this letter fully in Christian love. Uh, he did not need to see them. He did not need to meet them. Uh, he knew that they were Christians, and as, as, as Christians, he loved them and had an abiding concern for them. And so Paul indicates here that he is always praying for them. How about that? I'm always praying for you, even while I'm sitting here in chains, in prison, in Rome. I'm always praying for you. Now, can you say that you're always praying for people? Are you always praying for you people? When you find out these needs, when I see these needs that are given us today, uh, my heart is burdened, really. My heart is burdened when I see how profound uh, the needs are for the, for the people of God. So many, so many needs. Do your, does your heart burden like that? Are you, can you honestly say that you're always praying? Because that's what God wants you to do, always praying. Uh, and he prayed for them not often, but always, always. And when he prayed, he was full of gratitude. How about that prayer? I'm full of gratitude. And you want to say, my brother, man, look around you. You're in prison. You're in jail. And you're going to be in jail for several years. And you're praying in gratitude because those bars were meaningless to him. He didn't care about those bars because he saw beyond the bar bars. He saw the work of God going throughout the whole world. That's the amazing statement that you hear here. 
This is 30 years after Jesus has died on the cross, and now the work of God is going throughout the world. And so in, he, even though he sits in chains in prison, he is in gratitude. He is thanking God. He was thankful for their faith in Christ Jesus and in their love for all of the saints. How about that? Isn't that really what we want to be like, that we want to thank God that he has planted us here? Are you thankful that God has planted you here and put you with a group of guys who loves you and cares for you and prays for you? I am. I'm so grateful. God has given me friends and relationships here, the likes of which I never thought I would have, ever. When I left New Jersey, I never thought that this would be part of my life. Listen, when I left New Jersey, I was a guy who had a lot of scar tissue, uh, a, lot, a lot of scar tissue. And I came down here, and all I wanted to do was to sit in the last chair with my back against the wall. And that's the truth. If you knew anybody that knew me, that's where I was. The last chair with my back against the wall because I wanted to be anonymous. Well, that's worked out. <laughs> you understand? You see how God's plans and your plans are far apart, all right? Because I was burned out, because I, I was disappointed, because I had been crushed, even in church, uh, that I thought that, that my days uh, of being involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ were over, that I would just, again, be a guy who sits in the last pew with his back against the wall. But God says, forget about the past. Forget about the past. I'm calling you to be something different, and that's the call on your life. That's why we're going to study this letter to the Colossians. Is he speaking to you today? He's speaking to you today, just like this guy of Frafus, who now goes and becomes uh, a great uh, church starter, church planner in Colossians. And so you see this, this great thankfulness of Paul. And that's the thing that I have to say I have in my life. I'm so grateful to God that you've given me this privilege to be with men like this, with people in the church who love each other and lift up each other and pray for each other. And we really pray. We pray. It's not that we just mumble some words, but when we know that somebody's in need, we really pray. We really pray because we feel the pain in our hearts. And so genuine faith in Jesus will always give rise to a true love of God's people as a companion. That's how you know who is saved. You see the fruit in their life. And the fruit in their life starts with love. Love. Do they love each other? Do they love the work of God? Do they love the hurting? Do they love those who are needy? Do they lift up those? That's how you know who is saved. Look, and I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again. It's not your call to determine who's saved and who's not. I know a lot of you like to do that. You like to make that call. But unfortunately, God doesn't want you to make that call. Instead, he wants you to pray and love and lift up and affirm and let him decide. Let him decide who's saved and who's not saved. Uh, and so Paul says here he's also thankful for the hope laid up for them in heaven. How about that? How about that? You're going to heaven, all right? And if you're not going to heaven, you need to come up and see me at the end of this class, all right? Because I have a ticket right here, okay? I have a ticket because Jesus gave it to me to give it to you. You understand? Because if, in fact, if, in fact, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You've got the ticket. You're going, all right? You're going. 
and nothing can stop you. Because once he gives you the ticket, that ticket stays with you for the rest of your life. And now I thank God that he's given you that ticket. I thank God that he's lifted you up. And I, I have a peace in my heart that he's done that. And when I look out here and I see that, I see all of you who I know someday we're going to be together in heaven. We're going to be together. All right. And the Bible tells us that we will be gathered to our own, gathered to our own. He said that to Moses. He said that to Abraham. He said that to David, gather to their own. What does it mean? It means that when we get to heaven, we're not going to just join an amorphous mob. We're going to be with people who we've had spiritual relationships with. That's what heaven's going to be like, to your own. So we're going to be around. You're going to see each other. All right? I'm going to be a lot thinner and better looking. So you, I may have to wear a name tag. But the bottom line is you're going to heaven. You understand you're going to heaven. And God wants you to spread this message. You're going. That's why he was thankful. So here is a group. Imagine what it must have been like to know that you were the guy whose message were responsible to save who knows how many thousands of people that you never met, but that God used you even while you're in prison. That's the power of God. You understand he didn't have to go there personally. The power of God took his words and blessed them. And so you see here the phrase of faith in faith of hope and love. This dominated his thinking as a Christian. This is why Paul was so great. <clears throat> and you know, it's funny. You juxtapose this Paul with the Paul uh, as a Pharisee and the Paul who presided over the death of Stephen. Uh, the Paul who went out and persecuted the church. The Paul, and just think, just think about that, and that, and that how many people he put to death, how many people he was responsible for who were executed uh, because he was misguided and he didn't understand who Jesus was. And now you see that the Paul who's saved, filled with the hope of Jesus Christ, with the love of Christ, and you see a completely different man. This is how, this is how God works and how God uses it. And so Paul was also thankful that their eternal destiny was affected by the truth of the gospel. Make a point of that. The truth of the gospel uh, brought by a preface uh, who had the truth. Uh, Paul was thankful that the gospel was bringing forth fruit all over the world because that's how you know the gospel is being preached. Because if the gospel is being preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached, then what comes next is the fruit of the Spirit. All right? Because the fruit of the Spirit must follow when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Much must follow when you're getting the truth of the gospel of Christ. And the fruit of love and patience uh, and long-suffering nature in so many ways. Uh, and, and that fruit bubbles up in a way that you never would see it any other way. And so he's, he's joyous about this. And so here he, he understands this and he says, I'm praying that you will have a knowledge of his will informed by a true spiritual understanding. If he were here today, that's what he'd be preaching to you. He said, gentlemen, I want you to know you need to study the gospel, and John Garippa better be doing a good job on it, because it's important for you to have an understanding of the true knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God. That's what I've been trying to teach you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That means to know God and what he requires from us as our first responsibility. To know him. To understand him. 
and to know what he requires from us as we walk with him. That's what we are studying. That's what we're going to focus on on these next uh, six weeks or so as we drill down. And so as he frequently alludes to knowledge and wisdom, uh, he recognizes is that the church is deficient in this, that it is turned away from its first love. And so he didn't want them to be ignorant. He didn't want them to be ignorant. He knew that spiritual ignorance is the constant source of error and sorrow. Let me say that again. Spiritual ignorance is the constant source of sorrow and error. All right? Spiritual ignorance. You don't want to be spiritually ignorant. All right? And, And it doesn't require a PhD. It doesn't require a master's of theology. What it requires is a heart open to the will of God and the Holy Spirit and asking God to touch your life and to give you wisdom. And so second, Paul prayed that they would live according to the same knowledge they lived, they received living out a walk worthy of the Lord. Living out a walk worthy of the Lord. Our, work is ba- our walk is based on our knowledge of God and our understanding of his will. And that's how we can be pleasing to God in every possible way. way. Look at John chapter 15. John 15, verse 7. Actually, we'll start with verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, Paul is effectively teaching the day two experience. He's not calling it day two, but that's what this is all about. He's encouraging this church to be fully invested in the day two experience. Walking, sanctifying, studying, praying in every possible way in day two. And so this example here that we have of Jesus speaking about what it means to be a Christian in order to have fruit. Because here's the bottom line. If you are not bearing fruit as a Christian, you're not designed the way God designed you to do. You're not living the way God has designed you to do. And so Jesus says here very clearly that in order to have uh, fruit, you must be in his vine. The branch must be in his vine. Unless you are in the vine of Christ, we cannot receive the life-sustaining sustenance from God. Now, it doesn't mean, by the way, some people look at this and they'll say, well, you see those branches that are thrown out and burned to the fire? Well, that means that you can lose your salvation. No, it does not mean that. It does not mean that. It means you will never, you have not achieved the spiritual perfection that God has designed for you. You have not received the excellence of the walk that God has designed for you. I told you that. You get to heaven and Jesus flips on the videotape and he's going to say to you, oh, John, I had such great plans for you. I had such great plans for you. And the reason he, you have not achieved the plans is because you didn't remain in the, in the vine. Because it's only remaining in the vine, understanding the will of God, understanding the love of God, firmly implanting with Jesus that you have the fruit. Look, without Jesus, we are nothing. All right? Without Jesus, we are nothing. And I'm going to say something else. If there comes a time when I preach and speak on any subject, and I fail to mention Jesus, then you know what? Walk out. All right? Walk out. 
because that's nothing but being a tinkling bell. All right? That's sophistry. That's rhetoric. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? We stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified, resurrected, and today is standing at the right hand of God. That's what we are about. Because without that, we are zero. We are nothing. And that's what Paul is again emphasizing to this church in Colossus. Don't get stuck into some of this uh, weeds. Don't get stuck in the weeds of some of these philosophical issues. All right? Don't start thinking of a spiritual elite. Don't think that God only speaks to the smartest people. God does. I mean, the gospel comes to the simplest people. I told you that my own personal testimony, that the greatest sermon that I ever heard that instantly changed my life from a day one to a day two Christian was the day that that mentally handicapped girl spoke behind me in church and before it started, in which she said, oh, I love Jesus. He's my personal Savior. And it was like Jesus said, yeah, there, John. How do you like that? How's that, buddy boy? You never said that publicly about me in your whole life. You could speak in, in, in thousands of courtrooms all over America, and I never once heard you say those words about me. Instantaneously, my life changed. I understood it. You see, that's what God does. All right? And as long as you stay consistent to that, instead of we go off into the philosophical we, oh, yeah, we need to read these books on theology here and, and some New Age crap in plain English. All right? I mean, that's what it is. Sorry to use that word, but that's exactly what it is. You know? Uh, uh, and, and I hear this stuff. I hear this stuff. This guy, Eckhart Tolle, that Oprah was touting this guy. Uh, and his, his call to fame was that you needed to look deep within yourself. And that as you got deep within yourself, you would have knowledge. Yes, that's right. If I met him, I would say, Mr. Tully, I want you to know I look deep within myself, and I do have knowledge, and it says I need Jesus. That's what deep within myself says. I need Jesus. And I speak to men who recognize that they also need Jesus. And so God expects us to stay plugged into Christ. That's what this is about. That's what this letter is about, this epistle that we're going to study. Stay plugged into Christ. Stay straight. Stay with him. Don't look at this other nonsense. Uh, and, and so as you, as you do that, the recognition is that as we stay in Christ, we will bear fruit. And the fruit that we bear will, will lead us to works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, and philanthropy in everything that we do. That's what the fruit will lead you to. It will lead you to becoming the hands and feet of Christ. All right, and somebody said to me the other day, well, but that's a bit arrogant, isn't it? You're, you're, you know, your fruit, and you're going to think about all the things that you're doing, and you're advancing. No! No, we don't think about it as ourselves. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for him. I'm doing it for him because I love him because I need to serve him. And as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, I don't think about myself. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing in terms of my role in heaven. All I'm thinking about is what does he want from me? How can I show him I love him? Think about what he's given me. He's given me eternity. He's given me the, the chance to be with my family forever and ever and ever. And you think that in some measly way, I have a right to raise myself up? Oh, man. 
Are you missing the point of what this is all about? It's not about you, it's about him. And you recognize this. That's what, that's what the fruit is about. To advance the cause of Christ, not to advance you. And to glorify the Lord in all the things in our lives, all the things in our lives, even the little things, glorifying him. And so as we walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of the Lord, walking within him, being, being faithful to him, his strength is there to meet us all the time. That's what we have. We have God walking with us and abiding with us and strengthening us in our walk. And those are the things that overcome the problems that we face. Look, are you going to have a bed of roses because you've become a Christian? No. Are you going to get bad health diagnosis? Yes. Are you going to run into broken relationships? Yes. Are there people that are going to persecute you and, and, and cause you to suffer? Yes. Are you going to be surrounded by a sea of evil? Yes. Is the earth a, a vile place that, to live because Satan is in charge of it? Yes. And yet, because you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have the promise that he walks with you and protects you and surrounds you so that even as you suffer the vicissitudes of this life, you will know every single moment that he holds you in his hand. He holds you in his hand and nothing will come into your life that is not within his will. And if it is within his will, he's going to make you better by it and greater and make you a testimony and an example. And so that is why we have been filled with joy. And if you're not filled with joy, you need to come up here and see me. All right? Because you're missing out again. We have to be filled with joy. Joy what? Well, joy because my back hurt. Joy because I got a pain in my leg. Joy because the stock market went down 25%. Or joy because none of that matters at the end of the day because I know where I'm going. I'm going with him. I'm going to be in heaven. I have the ticket. All right? And that's the essence of joy. That's what God is telling you today, how God is inspiring you. And so God requires us, not only as we have these gifts, to be, have patience and have a long-suffering nature. That's where I get to have a problem. I don't have patience. I don't have a long-suffering nature. And I pray that God gives me that. And I'm, I'm sure many of you are in the same way. Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to understand that you see eternity. And I see 50 feet down the road, that's all I can see. Uh, and so you, you understand how great the will of God is and what he has in store for you. It's amazing what God has in store for you. Uh, and he's telling this church in Coloss that very thing. And so in verses 12 to, uh, to 14 in this passage, Paul gives specific thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Imagine that. God, at the time that he saved you, has qualified you to be fully a partaker of the inheritance of all of the saints. An inheritance, just like that, uh, of, of all the saints. And so in the divine administration, uh, you, this is part of his broad plan of redemption. And so God not only intended to redeem you, God not only intended to save you, but God has a destiny for you. At the time that you were saved, God has a destiny for you and a call on your life to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the call on your life. 
and so it's important to understand this. And so it's the Father, God the Father, that qualifies us, not our own works. You're not getting qualified because you've got an excellent education or you have an ability to speak in public or you have a winsome personality. None of that matters to God. He uses whatever he determines he needs to use to advance the kingdom of God. But he does it on his own terms for his work, not our work. We're not doing this as a wage. Let's get that straightened out. You're not serving God because you're paying him back because he saved you. That's wrong. You could never pay God back for your salvation. No amount of works would ever save that. Let's understand that. You're doing it because God called you to do because that's the work that God has given us to do to advance the kingdom of God. And so here, here also he uses a phrase, the power of darkness, and he uses that here. And so when Jesus spoke of the darkness surrounding his arrest and passion, and passion at the same time, he talked about the power of darkness. Make no mistake about it. We are surrounded by the power of darkness. The, this world is inhabited by demons. When God cast out Satan and one-third of the demons that followed him, this is where they landed. They're in this world. Make no, no mistake about it. They're here. And so even as we serve God and we're armed by God and protected by God, every day we're going to be assaulted. And here's the thing. Who does, that, who does Satan go after? Is he going to go after the poor guy who's drunk out on a curb on the street? He's got him. But you, you, you're different. You're a problem. You're a problem. Because God, he, Satan sees what you're doing in your church. He sees what you're doing in your family. He sees the people that you inspire. He sees who you give your money to. He sees all that. And you know what? I got to get that guy. I got to knock him down. I got to take him off his game. And that's what Satan inspires to do. And that's what God is protecting you from. This is what God is telling you. Yes, you live in an evil world. Yes, you walk in an evil place. But I will be with you. I will stand with you. Nothing will happen to you that is not within my perfect will. And so this is a powerful epistle, a powerful epistle that we're going to study as, as we drill home, as God drills home to us through our brother Paul, what it means to be a Christian, what's the call on our lives, what we need to do. And we're going to continue to study this next week, but close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lessons that you've given us today. I thank you for our brother Paul, Lord what a mighty man who you used greatly. Father, I thank you that you protected him and gave him the ability to write that resonates to us through the centuries. And now, Father, let this lesson grow in our hearts as we have an understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what the call on our life is, and to repudiate evil and to repudiate false theology, to stay straight as we look at the cross of Christ himself, Father. Be with our men, protect them this week, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.